0: It's hard to believe, but this year we're going to be remembering 20 years since 9 11, since the destruction of the towers in New York City. And over the last two decades, the the New York skyline has continued to change. Now, uh, looming tall there on the skyline, is the new tower, the new One World Trade Center tower. And it is an amazing building. It is an eye-catching building. As eye-catching as the new building is, some of the most amazing architecture involved in that building is, well, it's an element that you'll never see. It's It's the foundation of that building. The foundation extends down some 70 feet below the surface. It's made of the hardest concrete ever used in construction there in New York. And that building stands as a reminder for you and me that if you want to go big, if you want to build tall, you've got to go deep. It's a reminder also to you and me that Our greatest strength is usually found in places that most people will never see. James has been showing us that over the last two months as we've made our way through his little letter. As we've looked at James, we've asked the question over and over again, what's below the surface much like the image of the iceberg that we have been coming back to again and again we're reminded that below the surface there needs to be a depth of faith there needs to be a depth to our character that is foundational to who we are that holds us in place when the tough times come that keeps us rock solid in our faith we've face the reality that far too long what, what we end up finding is other stuff is below the surface. And sometimes that other stuff bubbles up as anger, and rage, and bitterness, and fear, and jealousy. And when these things bubble up, when those are below the surface, they, they tear us apart as, as individuals. They tear us apart as a community. They, they can tear us apart as a church the foundation of that new tower in New York, the World Trade Center Tower, that, that foundation wasn't poured in a day. It took about two years to put that foundation in. And we realize that if you and I are going to go deep in our faith, if we're going to have that deep, abiding, and consistent faith that we need— It's going to take time. It's going to take effort on our part. James would remind us it's not just about faith, it's about what we're doing with our faith, how our faith is working in our lives. But what we've what we've given, what we've given our faith that that kind of attention and, and that kind of intention to our faith, we see when we do that, that it it pays off. And we see instead that what bubbles to the surface when we've put that kind of work in is well, what bubbles up is blessing. What bubbles up is, is, is a firmness to our faith and a firmness to our character. It's taken about two months, or it's taken actually just that two months. And we now come to the end of James' letter. We're going to look at James chapter 5 today, verses 13 through 20. One of the things that we've seen about James is that he's, <laughs> he's never subtle. He's always very blunt. And James seems to end his letter bluntly also. The letter just comes to a stop. He's not like Paul. He doesn't say grace and peace to you. And he doesn't say, well, say hi to this person and say hi to that person. He doesn't even say, be sure to write back soon. James just brings the letter to an end. It's as if he expects us to do the hard work of applying his letter to our hearts, to our community, Our relationships and to our church. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins." So if we've laid that foundation well, if we've invested the time and energy, the, the heart into it, what should be bubbling up to the surface? What should we be able to see? Well, James is showing us that what we see is is the way that we care, the way we care for ourselves, the way that we care for others. When we care for others, when we care for ourselves, we're bringing that depth of faith up to the surface. What James shows us quite simply is deep faith cares deeply. As James closes, he points to three areas where our faith comes to the surface and is seen in the way that we care for others. First of all, he shows us that deep faith cares deeply for ourselves. James begins this section about the way that we care for others with an encouragement to care for ourselves ourselves. That might sound a little backwards and that might sound a little selfish initially, but it's, but it's not. Because you see, if you're not caring for yourself, then how well can you care for someone else? If you're not taking care of yourself first, can you even take care of someone else? It's You've been on airplanes. You've heard the airlines tell you that if there's an emergency, you put your oxygen mask on first before you help someone else with theirs. You and I are no good to anyone else if we're not first caring for ourselves. And so James encourages us as individuals, each one of us. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praises. You notice he's highlighted two different extremes here, suffering, and being cheerful. Two different extremes that he takes us to. The proper response in either one of those extremes is to go to God, to go to God in prayer when things are not going well, to go to God in praise when things are going very well, that, that the proper response in all extremes is to go to God. And so if that's the re- proper response in the extremes, then there's never a time, there's never a struggle, there's never an inconvenience or any problem or, or any joy that we face when the proper response is not to take that to God and trust, to trust that he hears us, to trust that he hears you, to trust that he's with you, that he either mourns with you or he rejoices with you. You and I need that assurance that that God is always there. That's important for our self-care. And if we have the promise of God's attention in, in those extremes, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we trusting are we trusting his presence by doing things that promote good health within us, that promote good self-care? One of the things we've talked about several times, you've heard me say this before, we've we've talked about the importance of gratitude, the importance of showing gratitude and how, how important it is to us, not just mentally and emotionally, but how important gratitude is to us physically. There have been studies done that talk about how important gratitude is, that, that showing gratitude, it improves self-care, it, it lowers your blood pressure, it keeps you from overeating, they say, that even eases depression. There have been studies that show that if you spend some time before you fall asleep at night, right when you go to bed, thinking about the things that you're grateful for, you'll sleep better. You'll get better rest. You and I know you can't pour from an empty cup, and yet we'll try to do that through ourselves. We'll try to do that if we're not careful for ourselves. I'm blessed to have friends who check on me. I have, I'm have. i blessed to have friends who ask the question, how are you doing, Brett? And then after I answer, they'll say, how are you really doing? They know, they know the importance of self-care. You need people in your life that know the value of self-care for you, who can help you care for you. Finding those moments when you can go to God in prayer with your struggles, finding those moments when you can sing praises when you're cheerful. If our faith has any depth to it at all, we'll see it bubbling up in how we care for ourselves. And from there, it overflows into the lives of people around us. Our care overflows into the lives of other people. Because you see, deep faith cares deeply for others. James spends the majority of his time in this passage talking about prayer, the way that we care for each other, the way that we pray for each other. There's a lot to take in in these verses, and and we need to see, first of all, that James is describing prayer that happens in the context of relationships within the church. James is describing prayer that takes place in the context of, of our church relationships, one of the things we're doing this year during, the, during, uh, during Lent as we're preparing ourselves for Easter is we've started a, a little thing we call Stones of Remembrance. We're asking people to take one of these stones from our entry area and write down something that God has blessed them with over the course of the past year. You know, 2020 came with a lot of struggles, but we don't want to miss the blessings that we received also. One of our people wrote on this rock, they wrote the words, Praying, friends. And I guarantee you that person knows the value of friends who pray for each other, of those kind of prayer, those prayer relationships that happen within the church. And I think that's great. And James would tell you, I think James would say, this is a stone to hold on to. This is a stone that is foundational to who we are. It's foundational to your faith. James goes on in verse verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call As prayer is, one of the things that we can't miss here is it's not just about prayer, is it? It's not just about prayer. Look again at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now I have to tell you, that word anointing, there's various opinions about what James is saying here. But it seems very, very likely to me that rather than referring to anointing as a spiritual thing, although we do that when someone calls and someone's sick, we will, our elders in the church have gone to people's homes, we have prayed for them, we have anointed them with oil at their request, we have, we have prayed for their healings. But it seems to me this particular word for anointing that James uses here, it's more of a medical term than a spiritual term. It's the word that was used when oil would be wiped over a wound, when oil would be applied to someone who was suffering physically. Oil was used as medicine in that world. Oil is still used as medicine in our world too. And I think what James is saying here is, do you have something that could help someone who's suffering? Is there some way that you could help bring the medicine Bring something that helps. Now, sometimes that might mean oil. Sometimes that might mean running to the pharmacy for someone. I've had to do that a few times for somebody who's hurting, make a trip to the pharmacy. Sometimes it means bring the chicken soup, doesn't it? Sometimes it means bring a whole meal as a family's hurting. They need someone to feed them. Sometimes in our day today, it might mean make sure you wear that mask because someone is sensitive and someone is concerned and they're hurting and they want to make sure that they're safe. But it reminds us that being a part of the church isn't just about spiritual needs and how we pray for one another. It's about the way we care for one another and how that care is seen. And again, you you hear something of Jesus In these words from James, Jesus said, I was sick and you cared for me, the least of these. You took care of my needs. Verse 16 reminds us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, and you and I hear that, and we might think to ourselves, well, that means I'm out of luck. But you know, it reminds us again, he goes on down in verses 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man just like us, a prayer of a righteous person. Now, I kind of want to take us back one more time to James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace. That harvest of righteousness is coming through you, through me, the way that we care for one another, the way that we bring peace to people's lives, peace to those who are suffering. Faith is, is about who we're becoming. It, it's not about what we've done in the past that we might not be proud of. It's about who we're becoming. It's about believing that we have a much better road ahead of us if we're caring. For each other if we're caring deeply for each other the promise extends beyond just you and me though it's a promise that overflows into the lives of those who are around us and James shows us that James shows us that deep faith cares deeply even for those who are absent James has made some very pointed statements all through his letter about the leadership in the church. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said, not many of you should be teachers. Chapter 5, verse 14, as we saw, James says, if anyone's sick, they should call the elders. But I want you to listen very carefully to these last two verses and ask yourself, who is he giving the responsibility to? Who is responsible in verses 19 and 20? My brothers?" if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Did you hear that? Anyone (laughs) and someone, anyone and someone. If anyone wanders and someone brings them back deep, Faith cares for the absent. Deep faith cares for the wanderers, those who are missing in action, those who are no longer here. And we've all seen that. I remember as a kid when I first started coming to church, I I had friends who would come to church and we would all be together in in youth group and we'd be together in Sunday school and other activities and they got excited, they got involved and they were always here and then, well, they were here a little bit less and a little bit less. A few weeks they would miss here and there and after a while they just kind of lacked interest and they just kind of fell by the wayside. Sometimes it happens like that. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's much quicker. Sometimes it's so fast that we don't even realize they're gone. In this past year with COVID, it has been so easy for some to just slip away. James reminds us here, that's not just the leadership's responsibility. That's a someone. That's an everyone. That's all of us. There are those who study Church growth. And they ask the question what causes people to be retained in the church? What, as they put it, what keeps the back door closed so people don't slip out and slip away? And one of the main factors, one of the major factors, is how involved are they in church and how involved are they in relationships in the church? Do they have friendships developing in the church? Are they being invited out to dinner? with other members? Are they being invited to join in groups or join in classes? Are they being made to feel welcome? Because if they're not, well, they soon take the hint, and they're gone. And again, this is a job for everyone. This is a job for someone, for anyone. We all need to be involved. We all need to be more welcoming. We all need to be more encouraging. We all need to be willing to ask, How are you doing? And then ask the question, How are you doing really? And listen again to what James says in verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Did you hear that? The stakes are high. Will save his soul from death? The rewards are high also. We'll cover over a multitude of sins. Deep faith cares deeply. And just as important, deep faith is rewarded deeply. Deep faith can save a soul from death, and will cover over a multitude of sins. That's a phrase Peter uses also in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says there, Love covers over a multitude of sins. I want you to notice that neither James nor Peter defines whose sins. I mean, is it the sin of the person who's wandered? Or is it the sin of the person who finds them and brings them back? Whose sins is he talking about? I think it's bigger than even just those two options. I think what Peter and James are both talking about is the kind of love that catches fire, the kind of love that spreads through a community that that reaches even to those dark corners where people are hiding. People talk about a church like that. People talk about a church that cares like that, how they care deeply. I want to have that kind of faith. <laughs> as I come to the end of James's letter here, I want to have that kind of faith for myself. I want to have that kind of faith for our church. I want to have that kind of faith for our community. I want to be the kind of church that people talk about. That people say, if you go to that church, they're going to love you. Be aware, if you go there, they're going to love you. They're going to care for you. They're going to forgive you, just as God forgives you. They are going to bless you just as God blesses you. They're going to bind up your wounds. They're going to pour on the oil. They're going to bring healing. They're going to see to it that whatever is hurting in you is healed. That's the kind of church our community needs. That's the kind of church that produces a harvest of righteousness. It's a reminder to us again that when God gave us his son, he didn't just give us just enough grace, just enough healing. He gave us an abundance. He gave us all that he had. And it's a reminder that as we take communion, as we remember what's been given to us, we also remember what's expected of us. The kind of love that we offer, the kind of care that we offer, we're reminded that that the kind of faith that we have, this deep faith that we're to have, it cares deeply, just as we have been cared for deeply. Let's take a moment and pray as we prepare to take communion today. Father, we thank you. Thank you for leading us through James. We thank you for the faith that we have seen. We thank you for the challenges that have called us again and again to ask ourselves what's below the surface. Lord, I don't think there's a single one of us who've made it through James that hasn't realized we've got some work to do below the surface. So Lord, we pray your strength and we pray your blessing and we always pray for your grace. We thank you today that as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we're reminded that you give in abundance, and we need an abundance of your grace. Bless this time as we come to your table, wherever we might find ourselves. We are before you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for for going on this journey through James with us. I'm excited about where we're going next. Thanks for joining us today. God bless. Have a great week and go in peace.